I'd ask you to return in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. As you are turning there, I notice as I'm standing up here that Todd and Sue Kelly are here. Why don't you raise your hand real high there, Todd. Todd and Sue are with uh, Leadership Resources International. They're one of the missionaries that we have the honor and privilege of supporting. And they are involved. Yeah, let's, let's, let's welcome them. Thank you, Lynn. They are involved in leadership training around the world. And they, they provide pastoral training for uh, groups of pastors and trainers all around the world. And they work in many different countries. And they travel around teaching pastors how to preach and teach and, and just help shepherd the flock. And uh, it's incredible work. And we've been able to support Todd for many years. And he's a good friend and a good partner. So if you don't know Todd, just... Go up, tackle him, give him a big hug, introduce yourself that way. He would love that. So, Todd, Sue, good to have you here and your family. Good to see the kids and everyone. So, well, as Jeff said, we are here this morning looking back at Luke. Way many, many, many weeks ago, back in November, we left off in, in our study of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19, actually at verse 28. So we had we'd gotten up to, to verse 27. If this is your first Sunday here, or if you've been new since the Advent season, we've actually been engaged in a rather long study of the Gospel of Luke. We've been involved, working through it thought by thought, and, and just studying all that we can learn here. And, uh, and during the Advent season, we took a break, and now we're back in it again. And what I think would be helpful for us to do is to get our bearings. That's why I asked Jeff to read that long passage there, just to, to allow us to get our minds back into studying the Gospel of Luke, to be able to jump back into it and, and pick up, because we picked up right here at the triumphal entry of Jesus here in, in 1928. But what I thought would be helpful for us to do this morning, just to kind of set the table, is just I want to remind you about what the Gospel of Luke is, is really about. It's a wonderful, wonderful Gospel. And in one sense, it's very simple. Luke is really seeking to explain to us who Jesus is. In all of his fullness, who Jesus is. He's, he, wants, he writes this letter to a man by the name of Theophilus, and he wants Theophilus to understand what he believes, which is a great thing to think about. You know, Theophilus obviously trusts Christ. He believes in him. And what Luke says is, now I want you to understand the fullness of what you believe. I want to start taking this apart for you so that you can understand what you have in Jesus. Now, there are several things he says about Jesus. He, he paints this full picture of who Christ is. And there's a few things that he does. The first thing that he shows Theophilus, or at least not the first thing, but one of the things he shows Theophilus is that Jesus is God. He says, okay, listen, I want you to understand Jesus is God. And, what, and, and I want you to understand that he isn't just a, a good man. He isn't just a, a prophet. He is actually the incarnation of God himself. God became man and dwelt among us. So the person you're trusting in is more than just an ideal, more than just the teacher of a new philosophy, more than just a guru who's come along to give you some good advice along the way. It's God himself. He's here. Jesus is God. He also tells Theophilus that Jesus is more than God. He's also the Savior. He's come to seek and to save the lost. He's on a mission. That mission is to redeem people, to pull them out of the pit, and to give them life. 
And so he's the Savior. And then he goes on and he says, listen, I, I want also you to understand this. Not only is he God, not only is he the Savior, but he also inaugurated the kingdom. There's a whole bunch of blessings that are in the Old Testament. A whole bunch of blessings that God said he's going to bring to the world. He's going to actually establish his kingdom in full reign and full rule. And Jesus inaugurated that. He began that process of bringing in the very kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the justice of God, the peace of God, all coming through Jesus. And so he says, okay, Theophilus, you need to understand this one that you believe in, he's God. You need to understand this one that you believe in, he's the Savior. You need to understand that because he's God and he's the Savior, he's inaugurated the very kingdom of God. It's come. But then he says, but you also have to understand something else. Jesus will suffer. And part of this path is a cross. And part of this path is the essence of dealing with this pain and overcoming the pain that's in the world. And part of the path of following him is a path of following and, and, and following through the suffering as well. But suffering is a big theology. It's a part of it. There's a cost of being in Christ. But he suffered and he overcame suffering and gives us the power and the ability to overcome it as well. And in that process, what he does is he takes this thing that was once a curse, right? The wages of sin is death. And through the cross, sanctifies death so that the process of death becomes the doorway to life. That's what Jesus has done. But then, it's another thing that he tells Theophilus. He says, okay, I want you to understand all these things, but I also want you to understand that Jesus also calls people to live on mission. That if you're in him, you're in his work. If you're in Christ, you're a part of what he's doing. And what he's doing is bringing this kingdom and, and bringing this work of seeking and saving the lost and, and bringing this whole work of redeeming and redemption to the world. And when you're in him, you join that mission. And so you count the cost and you be all in because that's what it means to be in Christ. So these are the great themes. Now, we've seen all of these themes unfold for us as we've studied it. And we're going to continue to see them as we finish our study, the Gospel of Luke, Lord willing. But to help you even just understand this a little bit further, let me kind of just give you a structure of the book so you can understand where we're at. Those are some of the themes that kind of overlay throughout the entire Gospel. But you could, we could structure the book pretty simply, right? The book can be structured this way. First thing you have in, in roughly the first four and a half chapters is the arrival of Jesus. And then in chapter 4, 14 through 950, the ministry of Jesus. And then in 951 through 1927, the section we just finished right before Advent, the move towards Jerusalem. And the move from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And then the section that we're beginning. The death of Jesus. And then the final section, the resurrection. So we're just beginning this section on the death of Jesus. And what I want you to grasp today is I want you to understand the death of Jesus. Not just the events of what happened, but the context through which Luke explains the cross. Now we talk about being cross-centered. We talk about following Jesus we talk about being people of the cross, and we talk about trusting in the cross. But Luke places the cross in a very interesting context. 
I want to show it to you, and then, and then we'll, we'll dive into our study here today. There's a bookends to, to the cross, to the study of the cross. There's an event that occurs just before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then there's something that occurs after that, after the whole cross, the death and the resurrection. There's another event, and these are what I like to call the bookends that set the table to understand the cross. And these bookends are what we're going to look at today, is, is just what happened in, in 19, 1 through 27 which is basically a message that says that Jesus has come to seek and save the lost, that he's going away for a while, he's leaving that work in the hands of his apostles or in the hands of his children, and he's going to come back. Right? That's what happens in 19, 1 through 27. Now, after Jesus then goes into Jerusalem, suffers, dies, rises from the dead, gathers his apostles, gathers his his, 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 his followers into a room, and in Luke 24, 36 through 49, he says, now listen, everything that was said about me in the Old Testament is true. And I am telling you, you got to go to the world and bear witness to that. So the bookends of, of, of the entire cross in Luke is the Great Commission. Is the Great Commission. There's the forgotten Great Commission passage, which we're going to look at today. I like to call it the forgotten one, but the parable of the ten minus, which is a Great Commission passage. Go out and be faithful with what I gave you. And then he carries out the work of the cross, gathers his people, and says, now go out and bear witness to this. And those two things shape our whole understanding of the cross. And what it does for us is it does this. I believe that it helps us understand two things. That the cross gives you the path upon which you get saved, right? God bears, pours his wrath out, not on you, but on his son. So you're saved. But it also gives you your purpose in life. Did you know that every gift and every talent you have has to be understood in light of what God's doing in this world? He has gifted you with desires, with passions, with talents, with all of this, with a situation and a context of your life. And he's saying, listen, all of that is important to me, to my carrying out the plan of seeking and saving the lost around the world. And all that I've given you has to be seen in light of that. If you take all that you've been given by God and only use it for yourself, how do I get happy? How do I find joy? How do I find fulfillment? How do I find satisfaction? What do I want to do with my life? How do I want to use my gifts my way? You know what happens? You live an empty, meaningless life. You live an empty, meaningless life. There used to be these, I don't even know if it's on anymore. It might be, either I'm really hip or I'm really dating myself here, I don't know. But uh, there used to be on uh, one of those music channels, this uh, show called Behind the Music. Right? Okay, only old people are shaking their heads, so there we go. I'm not hip. Okay. And uh, still no, right? I haven't seen this in a while. But they used to give these documentaries of all these rock and roll bands. And for some reason, I would watch these things. Okay, I'd watch these documentaries of these bands. And they all had the same thing. They all made it in the club scene. And then, boom, somebody signed them. And they got a million-dollar contract. And they toured the world. And then they completely busted their brains on drugs and alcohol and wound up in some gutter somewhere in this meaningless existence. And now they're trying to come back with acoustic guitars. Okay? Right? And they're all old and, you know, wearing wigs and hats because their hair's falling out, you know. 
And he's like, okay, yeah, we're, we were cool in 85, you know, back when we could wear spandex. <laughs> but what is that? What are those documentaries? They're all exactly the same. I summed up all of them for you with that story. And what they show you is that life lived for yourself. Life, when you use your gift of music for yourself, when you use your gift of writing for yourself, when you use your gift of dreaming for yourself, when you use your gift to build things for yourself, when you use your loves for yourself, it's meaningless. But when you see that God has given you things to use for his purposes, there's fulfillment. And I believe that's what Luke kind of instructs us, helps us to grasp when we understand the cross through those two bookends. That he's commissioning us to be a part of this work. And that's where meaning and hope comes in in the world. Now, what we're going to do today is we're just going to kind of leak into the triumphal entry. We're going to slowly make our way here. It's been a while. And, and we're just going to basically look at the setting of this triumphal entry. And then what I want to do is I want to place it in the context of chapter 19. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll jump fully into the triumphal entry of Jesus so that you can see the setting today. So we'll see just the setting today and then what I simply call the mission, the message, and the mandate that's here that I believe sets the table for understanding the entrance of Jesus into the kingdom. And What I want you to get from this today is pretty simple. I want you to see the, the triumphal entry in its context in 19, but then I also want you to understand what that means for your meaning in life. I want this to really shape not only your faith in Christ and your, your hope for your salvation, but your purpose for breathing. And that it would kind of set that table and show you what I believe God wants you to see as, as you unpack this, as we unpack this together. So let's look here, just simply at the setting. Verse 28. That's what I want you to look at here with me. Look on. He says, And when he had said these things... He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Now, what we have to understand is he's, he's clearly making a point here. He's saying, now, he had said these things. He had said something. And on the basis of saying these things, he then goes up to Jerusalem. Now, Luke will oftentimes make a couple of kinds of transitions when he's writing. Sometimes he makes what I call like a harsh jump cut. He finishes a story, and then, boom, he jumps you right into the next story. Other times, he kind of transitions you and connects the stories. And he'll connect the stories oftentimes with this and, and when he had said these things, and basically giving you a smooth transition from one account to the next. Now, why am I pointing that out to you? Because we've got to see the events of the triumphal entry in light of what he just said. He said something. And what he said makes the connection with what he's about ready to do. And what he's about ready to do really puts into motion what he just said. Make sense? So he said something, he's going to now do something, and we got to see both of those together. The reason why I want to say this is that sometimes we look at the triumphal entry, and it, this is a passage that gets preached once a year, the Sunday before Easter, just a Palm Sunday passage, and, and you can look at that event as Jesus ride, rode into Jerusalem, people worshiped him, Pharisees wanted to stop, and, and, uh, and Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, and, and the people call him king, and that's about it. And sometimes it, that story can get a little confusing. Like, why did these people worship him? And then just, you know, a few days later, they're saying, crucify him. What, what is going on here? 
How am I supposed to process this very weird event that he enters in, and just a week later, he's killed? How do we comprehend what's happening? Everything that happened in Luke 19, 1 through 27, explains and answers all those questions for us, but also puts it into context. So what we're going to do is we are going to go from this setting now to reverse, going back into Luke, and we're going to look at what I simply want to call the mission of Luke or the mission that Jesus is on. Because in order to understand the triumphal entry, you have to understand his mission. Then you have to understand his mandate and his message. You've got to understand those three things, and that's what we find in Luke. So let's, let's go back now, and let's look at the mission of Luke by looking at Luke 19, 1 through 10. Let's, let's rewind, go back a little bit, set this context. Jesus enters into Jer- Jericho. What he's doing is he's taking this walk from Galilee down to Jerusalem. As he's walking along, he's doing miracles. People are getting excited. He's got this big following coming. He's entered this town of Jericho. Now, in that day, when somebody would enter a town, typically they would sleep in that town because a town, typically towns are about a day's journey away and you don't want to be traveling at night. And so you'd walk into a town, pick the place you're going to stay, and stay there. And we talked about this when we studied this a, a, a while ago, that uh, hospitality was part of the Jewish culture. And so at any point, someone could knock on your door and say, hey, I'm here with my family, feed me. You, you know, and they just show up. It's just part of life there. And, uh, and so Jesus, he's coming into Jericho. He does something a little unique when he makes his way into Jericho. He walks into Jericho, and he just keeps walking. He doesn't pick a place to stay. And it says that there's this man, Zacchaeus. Now, what do we know about Zacchaeus? He's a what? A wee little man. Exactly. You know who Zacchaeus is, right? He's, a wee, he's not just a wee little man. He's a wee little man, right? you got to do that. He's a wee little man. Okay? So we know that he's short. Um, I'm about ready to do my short, tall joke that I've always done, right? When the Bible mentions somebody who's tall, it's generally bad in the Bible. When he's short, he's good, right? I say that as a short guy. Anyways, I identify with Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man. So he can't see Jesus. Crowds are surrounding him. And Jesus is walking through. And so Zacchaeus gets this great idea. Doesn't look like Jesus is stopping. I'm going to run ahead. And he goes to these sycamore trees, which were on the outside of the town. And he climbs this sycamore tree. So he's waiting up there. And the crowd's coming. Jesus is walking through the town. He makes his way to the other side of the town. He gets over the other side of the town. There's Zacchaeus. He looks at Zacchaeus and he says, I'm staying at your house. At that moment, you would have heard in the crowd, because Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. The scriptures give him a little bit more of a title. He's a chief tax collector. So he is the guy who is in charge of all the tax collectors. And so we know what we know about tax collectors. They were hated by the Jews because they had sided with the Romans. They would rip off their own people. They would collect taxes. They were embedded with this evil, wicked government. All of this stuff. And these guys were just hated. And not only that, the way they got paid was by ripping people off because they could add whatever they wanted to the taxes and just steal from people. And the way Zacchaeus made his money was he had all the other tax collectors working for him. And so he could just say to those guys, listen, I want this from you and this from you and this from you. And those people would go out and do his bidding. And and he was really rich. And he was hated because all of his money was ill-gotten gain by taking advantage of people. And Jesus goes into this traitor's house. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus not because 
He just wants to be around the guy who's, you know, hip and happening. But because God's gripped his heart. And so Zacchaeus right away says, I am going to give all my money to the poor. It's interesting, in the, in the study of Luke, the, uh, right before the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus, a little bit before that in chapter 18, is the story of the rich young ruler who refused to give any money to the poor. You know, just didn't have a heart. Zacchaeus, man, he's like, not only that, I'm going to pay back everybody I stole 400%. Imagine that. Can't even imagine the IRS showing up saying, you know, our tax has been kind of high for a few years. We're going to pay you back 400% of all the stuff we've overtaxed you. It's, you know, basically Zacchaeus is saying, I'm done with the world. I'm done with this money. I'm done with it. I just want you. I'm just going to follow you. Jesus makes a very simple statement. Here's the statement that he makes in verse 10. And he's going to explain this moment. Because what he says right before that is he says, this man is a son of Abraham. He's a covenant child. You, you Jews have written him off. He's the real deal. And then he says in 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I'm in this guy's house because this is why I've come. Yeah, Zacchaeus is a wretched man. His sin goes way deeper than just ripping people off. He's a rebel against God. But I saved him. And that's the mission I'm on. I'm out to seek and save the lost. I'm out to find these Zacchaeuses. I'm out there. I'm going to find them. I'm going to save them. I'm going to pull them into my kingdom. This is what I do. This is what it means to be the Messiah. That's his mission. This is what Jesus does. This is what God's plan was about. He was going to redeem the rebels that have rebelled against him. It's an amazing thought. The heart of the Messiah is to absolutely redeem these people. It's an amazing picture. I keep going back to the picture in my mind of, of Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? Interceding. God, would you show mercy to these people? How many righteous people does it take for you to withhold your mercy or withhold your wrath from this city? Can we save the city? Right, that, that heart that says, I'm not standing up there saying, you know, kill them all now, you know. Say, God, save them all now. That's Jesus. That's his heart. That's the mission he's on. If you're going to understand the cross, you've got to understand that's the mission he's on. But there's even more to the mission. There's even more to the mission. Because now we move from the mission to the mandate and the message. And that's in verses 11 through 20 of this. In verse 11, the people hear these things. You've got another one of these as they hear these things in verse 11, Jesus is going to tell a parable because he's just said, I've come to seek and save the lost. And then Jesus knows something. He knows that these people think that all that God is about is happening right now. All that matters is right now. They think the kingdom has come right now. It's in full. It's all here now. He's going to be our king. He's going to kill the Romans. He's going to save a bunch of rebellious Jews. This is great. And Jesus wants to say to them, hold on a minute. You think the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, it's not going to appear in full the way you think. You need to understand there's a whole mission going on, so I'm going to tell you a story about it. Here's the story he tells. He tells the story of a nobleman. Now, in that day, when a, uh, a man was a nobleman, what that meant was he was a man of position in the, in the government. He was a man of position in the community. 
and he would have been one that would have been selected by the Roman Senate to have run a country if Rome had taken over a country. So simply what would happen is the Roman government would come in, they'd take over a whole country, and they take over a country, they would appoint somebody that they would call king over that country. They were like more like governors, but they would use the word king. And the way they would select that king is they would say, okay, I'm going to pull a nobleman who we believe could rule this place. We're going to bring him before the Senate. And when we bring him before the Senate, uh, they have to go through a little Senate hearing, but people from that area can come and cast their lots. They can say, hey, do we want this guy or do we not want this guy? And the Senate, they don't, wouldn't take a vote, but they would take input from those people. And so if a bunch of people showed up and said, we don't want this guy as our king, why? Why don't you want him as your king? Well, here's the reason. Then the Senate would take that into consideration. Now, these noblemen all had businesses, and they had to keep their businesses because that's how they got paid. So, so in our day, if I became a congressman or a senator or whatever, I'd get my salary from that. In that day, you got your salary from running your business. So if you were a nobleman, you were just adding ruling a, a place on top of your job. So this is all the background to the story. So Jesus says, okay, I want you guys to understand something. You think it's all coming in full right now. There's a lot of work that needs to get done. So I'm going to tell you a story. Here's the story he tells. Jeff read it for us. It tells the story of a nobleman, okay, selected to be king. So he goes off to this, going to be called off to the Roman Senate to get his hearing. Before he goes, he gathers three of his servants, and he said, okay, guys, run the business while I'm gone. Each one of you is getting 10 minas. You're getting about three months' wages. Okay? Each one of you is going to get some money, and you've got to run my business. He takes off. He goes to his confirmation hearing. A bunch of people from the, from the village come into the hearing, and they say, we don't want him as our king. We're voting no. We don't want him. So those are the, the two streams to the storyline. One is he's leaving his business in the hands of his servants, the second are these people who say, we don't want him as king. Okay, so that's the storyline. So now he, he, he comes back. He gets the job. He's the king. Comes back as the king. Going to gather his servants together and say, all right, audit time. Show me what you've done. First guy shows up and says, man, I doubled the, <laughs> doubled the minus. The other guy comes back and says, well, you know, I didn't double it, but, you know, 50%. And, 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 and you know, he says to the first guy, Wow. Doubled it, you're going to get more of my kingdom. You're going to rule over all this stuff. You've proven faithful. I gave you this, and, and you, you, you used what I gave you. This is great. Second guy comes. He says, well, you know what? I'm going to give you what you can handle. Since you only you know, made five minas, this is what you're going to handle my kingdom. That's what you're going to run my kingdom. Goes to the third guy. Third guy says, hey, man, you are a jerk. You're a tough guy, man. You steal. You're, you claw. You... You're just this cruel guy. I was terrified. I didn't want to let you down. So I hid your money because I know that, uh, you know, you are just a pain. You're tough. And, uh, and the and, and and last thing I'd ever want to be is wrong around you. So I took this thing and I hid it. He's like, you are worthless. You know, I mean, even if, even if I am that much of a cruel person, what about a bank? At least there's interest. I didn't give this to you to hold it. When I give you my business, I need you to run my business. My business is designed by running. You don't open a store and then put a closed sign on the front of it. Right? you got to move the product. Right? It's business, duh. Like, that's what the guy's saying. Like, come on. So I didn't give this to you so that you could hide it because you think I'm so mean that I'm going to come back and 
you know, beat you up if you, if, you, if, you, if you move in the wrong way. And even if that was the case, you should have at least done something to get some level of advancement. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this, your 10 minus and I'm giving it to the guy who has 20. Of course, the people in the room go, hey, that's not fair. He's already got 20. And he says, well, that's not the point. The point is he's faithful. He can handle the 20, so I'm giving it to him. Then, story's not over. He then says, now bring all those people who voted no against me. Bring them here. Kill them. And they kill them. Right? You're going to rebel against me, there's death. Now, that's the story that then sets up the triumphal entry. Now, what's going on in the triumphal entry? He's going to come in, and Jesus is setting the table. He's trying to tell us something very important. He's trying to tell us, listen, I'm on a mission to seek and save the lost. That's what this is about. But I'm actually going to entrust this mission to you because I'm going to go away for a while. And I want you to do something with this mission. But I want you to understand something along the way. I am the king. And I deserve to be worshipped. I deserve to be worshipped. And if you don't worship me and humble yourself before me, there's destruction. So he comes in on the triumphal entry. We've got people worshipping him. We've got people who refuse to worship him. Jesus is going to pronounce a judgment upon them. But we understand why. The story of the ten minus sets the whole thing up for us. Why is he coming after these Pharisees? Because he's saying, I'm the king. I've been inaugurated as the king. I'm the one who's come to rule the world, and you have to worship me. But disciples, all of these things that I'm doing, suffering, dying, and rising from the dead, is to seek and save the lost. And what I want for you to do is to carry on my business while I'm gone. I'm going to go away. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I want to know that you've invested what I've given you. I want to know that you didn't take that investment and say, well, you know, if we get out there and start doing that kind of stuff and sharing Jesus, man, we, we could become liberal. You know, because that's what the liberals do. So we better just hide back here. Because we don't want to become liberal. Right? Or, or we could say, no, we, we can't do that. You know, if God wants them saved, that's his job. So we're just going to bury it in the sand, man, because the last thing we want to do is get God mad at us for overstepping our bounds. So we're just going to bury it over here in the sand because God's sovereign. God will do what he wants. What he's saying is, don't bury what he gave you. Use it. Use it. And that's why the whole thing's going to end with him saying, listen, Guys, you're witnesses now of this mission. I'm doing the seeking. I'm doing the saving. And I'm going to use you as a tool in that process. What you've been given is to be given away. See, Jesus is about three things in this chapter, chapter 19. He's about seeking, he's about saving, and he's about sending. Seeking the lost, saving the lost, and sending those who have been saved as his tools and emissaries to continue the work of seeking and saving. 
That sets the whole table. Now, next week, we will jump into it in full. Today was just a way of review. But here's what I want to do. I want to take what we just kind of did this overview of here this morning, and I want to give you three points of consideration. Three points of consideration. I, sh- I went four there for a minute, and I thought, That's, that doesn't seem right. One, two, three, four. Yeah, that's not right. Three points of consideration. And uh, I did not go into math, as you know. Okay. Three points of consideration. And then I want to give you uh, three, one, or give you some options of action, some points of action that you can take from this. The three points of consideration are this. I, this is what I want you to think about. The mission, first one is this, the mission of the Messiah is to seek and save the lost. I know that you know that. But you have to stop and consider this reality. The whole point of the cross was to redeem people. And oftentimes we see people and their sin, and they become the enemy, and they become the people we stop praying for. And sometimes the people who need to be saved, who are in our lives, who are in the worst possible place, creating the greatest possible havoc in our lives, are the ones we stop interceding for. But the whole point of Christ was to say, I could, I could redeem a Zacchaeus, man. I redeem that person. You know, Zacchaeus was a bad guy. He wasn't a good guy. God redeemed him. That's what he's about. And, and the reality is, do we stop and really recognize that when it comes to day in and day out engagement? And the people we interact with, do we stop and say, wait a minute, the God who's in me and the God who I am in is about actually redeeming people like this. They're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Second point of consideration. The mandate is that we are all called to be part of this mission. The reason why he saves us is for his glory. The way that his glory is magnified is when he uses us for his purposes. And so now, we can look at our lives, and we can say this. We can make a little change. Because I find it interesting that, that oftentimes God seems to surround all of us with people who are really complex, right? And in difficult situations. And, and people sometimes who, because we live in a fallen world and a fallen body with people who are sinners, we have to deal with complex issues. But if God's mission is about seeking and saving the lost, then I'm going to have to anticipate that he's going to put me in complex situations surrounding me by people who need to be sought out and saved. So instead of resenting that reality, I need to recognize that is my reality. That is my reality. Some people place their faith in Christ, and then all of a sudden it seems like everything falls apart around them. No, you're actually just being sent on mission, man. That's putting you in the world. Because what he's about is bringing his gospel to these people who need it. He's not trying to pull you out and put you in a little commune until the rapture. Where we just kind of huddle and hide out and hate the world. What he's saying, I'm sending you there, man, and I'm going to surround you with them. And guess what? I'm going to put them in your home. I'm going to put them at your family gatherings. I'm going to put them in your office. I'm going to put them everywhere. 
Because you see, I'm sending you to bear light in the darkness. Right? That, that's, that. And so the message then, the, the mandate and the message is, he's sending us and the message is, go. <laughs> you got to go. But here's the third point to consider. Our life and our gifts and our talents have to be understood in light of this mission. The uniqueness is that each one of us is gifted differently. And as a result of that, sometimes we look at other people's gifts and think they're better than ours, but it's not really the case. The interesting thing is that God, the gifts that God has given you are the gifts that he needs for the context and the situations that he's put you in. And so you can't really look and say, boy, I wish I had so-and-so's gifts. I wish I could, I wish I could argue like Robbie Zacharias, you know, the way he can just school those professors. I wish I could do that, you know. I wish I had that kind of brain. But no, you don't need that kind of brain. Whatever you've been given is exactly what you need to carry out the mission God designed for you in the context he's placed you in. And until you see your gifts and embrace those gifts in the context that you're in, you actually won't ever find, I don't think you'll ever find satisfaction in life. Because satisfaction comes when we are walking in the purposes that God designed us to walk in. And so, so recognize your life, your gifts, your talents have to be understood in light of the mission, not in light of your mission for your life, your agenda. The struggle that we have is that we take our gifts and talents up against our desire, and, uh, and oftentimes our desire is in God's plan, and God's plan wins, period, right? God's plan always wins, and so uh, we got we to gotta recognize that and submit to that. So those are the three things that I want you to consider. But now I want to give you some points of action. You know, we've talked about this, and, and if this is your first time here, you won't understand this fully, but, but this ministry year, we've had a focus called Engage, and, and each month we look at something different, one of three things we look at each month. This month we're talking about engaging in the world. God has called us to engage in this world. And he's called us to, to bring this message of Christ and, and the cross and the work that he's done to the far reaches of the globe. And I have a, a point of action where I want to put out a challenge. We have opportunities for our church to be a part of this. And so here's the challenge for us. I'm going to present to you three possible options for you to be a part of the mission of Christ to the global world. And you might say, well, I don't think things are ready in my life to do that. I might suggest to you that that could be true. And if that's true, get it ready, man, because we got to preach Christ. But if it's not, if, but, but another option might be you're just kind of a spiritual couch potato and things aren't ready because you're not moving. You're not moving. Get the engine going. I don't know which one it is. We'll discern it together. But the point is I, I want us to consider this. So, so here are three options for us as a church. Okay, and, and I hope to put more out for you. But one option is that we have an opportunity to go to Eastern Europe this summer. We can send about 10 people or so to Eastern Europe for an outreach with uh, Milan, who we support in Eastern Europe with Josiah Venture. And, uh, and at the end of July, July 23rd through August 6th, they're going to have a camp with probably three to 400 young people who don't know Christ. And they're going to do a music camp. They're going to teach them how to play instruments, and they're going to do all kinds of things and teach them how to sing and every day share Christ with them. And at the end, they're going to put on a big concert, and they're going to bring in all the parents. And Milan's going to stand up and share Christ with all the parents. And Milan has said, hey, could, you, could your church help? 
Could you send some people who, who love music, who love young people, who want to preach Christ, who want to go out and help us make disciples here in Eastern Europe? Could you send people? And I said, no. No, are you kidding me? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we are so busy here. I mean, no, I'm kidding. She said, yes, of course. So he said, we need about 10 people. We, we might have about four people that could be going right now, maybe four, but, but we've got room for another six, possibly eight. I've talked to Milan about this. People. So I know you're, you're saying, well, it's just six or eight. Yeah, but it's just six or eight of you that, that maybe if you love music and you have that skill, come and talk to me. I'm going to put your name down. We'll get some information out to you uh, because we want to make Christ known there. And let's use our ministry partners to do that. Let's join with them in their work. Second option we have. This involves a lot more of you. We have an opportunity to uh, do some uh, VBSs in, in, up in uh, Canada. One possible option is Cat Lake, the village where Ron and Jen are going. So this God's opened up a door. Uh, there's been even an, uh, another phone call that happened this week with Ron and Jen and some people about us going up to Cat Lake and doing a VBS in the summer. Working with aboriginals up in the tribes, First Nation tribes in Canada, there is a possibility of doing even more, and there's just many opportunities that are possible a lot of it's hinging on Ron and Jen who are going to Canada in a couple weeks and uh, to go up to Cat Lake to, to begin the primary ministry up there. And if all goes uh, well and God continues to keep the door open, we're going to have opportunities. There's also an opportunity for us to, to do some ministry in Sioux Lookout up in Ontario. And so if you say, boy, I'd love to take my family. It's a 15-hour drive. All you need is a passport. And, uh, and we can drive up there. And, uh, and begin to do ministry. And if you're saying, boy, I want to go. I want to be a part of that. I'd love to go out and do some chil children's work, children outreach in Canada. Come and let me know. Why? Because we want to let the world know that Christ has come to save. This is what we're, we're about. And, and I believe it will, will uh, suddenly give us uh, a vision of what God's doing and how he is seeking and saving the lost around the world. That's the second option. A third option is this. Mission support. You might say, I can't do any of that. I don't have any free time. I don't have this. Well, there's an old saying, you're either a radical goer or you're a radical sender, but you somehow got to be radically involved. And so you might say, I can't go to any of these things, but I can send. I can send. And, and, and so if you want to be a part of that sending process, that could be supporting people with supporting these projects with money. It could be supporting these people with supplies. You could be supporting people with all kinds of infrastructure. And so for, for those of you who might not get on the, the, the bus to Canada or the plane to Czech Republic, you can still be involved. And, and we're going to put out for you opportunities to radically support these things. But why are we doing all these things? I believe we're doing all, we need to do all these things for this one simple reason. I don't believe we're sitting here being handed three minas by, by Jesus. I don't think we got two minas. I don't think we got nine minas. I think God has given us a hundred minas. When I look out here, I see very equipped and established people who love Jesus. I see people who, who, are, in, who are engaged with the truth. I see people who, who God has worked in mightily. And when I look out and I see all of you out here, I think, Wow, what we have been given 
the gifts and the talents and the skills and the understanding of the gospel that is in this room. What God can and will do through us will blow us away. And I just want to make sure we don't bury it in the sand, that we take what we've been given and we use it. And when he returns, that we can say, you gave us 100, here's 200. Here's 200. It's what I want to see happen because I believe we have it. And I just want to close on just this personal note. You know, I, I got saved, well, kind of two experiences. One, when I was five, I heard a hellfire and brimstone message and I was scared to death, man. I did not want to go to hell. <laughs> I ran down to that altar. You know, he painted this picture of hell that literally scared me. And, uh, and, and then when I was 11, my brother shared Christ with me again to kind of say, hey, you know, hell, you know, salvation isn't just fire insurance. It's following Jesus. And, and through high school, I lived a very nominal Christian life. Ups and downs, just kind of whatever. But it was real nominal. And then when I was 19, God just one day gripped me, all God, just a random moment. And at that moment, I just said, man, I just want to live every day for your kingdom. Every day, that's what I want. And I can tell you now that it's, you know, almost 30 years later, that I have been satisfied for 30 years. I'm not saying everything's been good. And I'm not saying everything was always perfect. And I didn't have hard times and times of tears. But I could say that in my heart, for these close to 30 years, I've been satisfied. And I believe that you, you really are satisfied when you understand that what you've been given is to connect the experiences and context of your life to carry on the mission that God has called you to be a part. He sought you out, he saved you, and he's sending you. And I want you to know that satisfaction. Because that's the only way to live. Would you bow your head with me? God, I thank you just for this review of Luke. Thank you, God, that we will we jump in next week and really unpack the fullness of this. I pray that, that we wouldn't let the heart of it pass us by, that you sought us and you saved us to send us, that everyone in this room has is, is been gifted by you to be the ambassador that you want them to be in the context that they're in. They need nothing else. There's not one believer in this room that's lacking anything. Thank you for that. God, I pray that you would lift the hearts of those that, that are surrounded by trials and pain and sin and sinners and horrible context. But show them not just how to be happy in this moment, but, but what you're doing in this moment through them. God, may we push past our own feelings and embrace the fact that you will put us in difficult trials. Some of us might be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of a sudden pulled out of the comfort of home and put into a tough context. Some are like Job, dealing with physical pain, emotional pain. Others will be like the martyrs who will give their life for the kingdom. 
But in all those contexts, Lord, you, you, you're using us. You used Job. You used Daniel. You've used the martyrs. You're using people here. God, would you show them how you are using them now? Would you help us to be content in your spirit and satisfied in your mission and allow us to use our gifts to make your name known? I pray for the trips to Canada. I pray for the trips to, 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 to Eastern Europe. I pray, Lord, that you would use us to make your name known in, the, in this global world. Thank you for entrusting to us this gospel. May we be faithful to announce it to the nations. And I pray, God, that, that we would be satisfied solely in you as we do that. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.